Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Romans chapter 15, verses 22 to 33. Romans chapter 15, verses 22 to 33. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I want to remind you that next week, Sunday night, we have a very important members meeting. If you're a member, we would really want you to be there. We're going to talk about some important things related to next year. And uh, we'll do some praying together at uh, 6 o'clock briefly, and then we'll spend some time talking about what we feel like the Lord is leading us to do in 2016. So please make uh, plans to join us. As well, before we get into the message today, I just want to give you a couple updates as we're coming towards the end of the year. The first is just to tell you that our attendance, both here and at Fishers, is strong. Last Sunday, we had uh, 4,500 people between the two campuses. Uh, In fact, the the, the Fishers um, campus has just been unbelievable. I was looking at some goals that I had for 2015. The goal was to have 200 people in Fishers, and they're averaging about 500. It's just amazing. So, so wonderful what's going on over there. Uh, the offering that you gave uh, at the 30th anniversary, total of $58,000, we've begun giving that away to local churches, and we're getting some feedback back from those churches. There's a, a blog article written by, um, and an interview of uh, Joseph Ray, one of our former pastoral residents who now works with Soma Church, and we've been able to invest there, invest in a church in Doblesville, able to invest in Uh, Harvest Bible Fellowship Church in Greenwood, and I'll tell you, those brothers have been blessed by your generosity. Our uh, overall giving to the the church in terms of global and benevolence is extremely strong. Both of those funds are up well over 12%. Uh, As we come to the end of the year, the last six weeks, as is typical around here, our giving to general is below what we had hoped it would be at this point. 
We're down about 7%. Now, that's pretty typical, uh, especially because of the balanced calendar. A number of you took advantage of being gone for a couple of weeks and things of that sort. And every year, it sort of like looks like a hockey stick at the end of the year. These last six weeks is a time when a number of uh, folks give. So it's pretty typical, nothing to be alarmed about. So if you've been giving, if you're one of the 2,400 families or individuals that have been giving throughout the year, thank you. We really appreciate your generosity. I want to remind you that the general fund is not just general. It's really important. Uh, one of the things we say around our staff is the challenge with the general fund is it's so general, but everything that we do here on Sunday is funded by that general fund. So your giving to general fund really matters, and a particular percentage of everything that comes into general then goes to global and benevolence and local. If you're not giving and haven't given, or if you've not given what you feel like the Lord would lead you to give, I'd encourage you to think about your giving in the next six weeks. Your church needs you. We'd love to hit our end of year on budget. Our staff have really been careful with our expenditures. We're actually way below our, our spend, and we'd love to be able to end the year fully uh, in the black. So if you could just pray about that and um, then come Sunday night next week, you'll hear about what we're thinking for 2016. God's doing some great things in our church and would love to have you know what's on our hearts so you can pray, give, and uh, be involved. Romans 15. Let's uh, pray, ask the Lord to help us. God, come now, please, by your spirit and give us understanding from your word. Encourage those who are weary Give grace to those who have erred and sinned. Give us joy where there is pain and difficulty. And give us hope today for the beauty of what gospel-centered generosity really looks like. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Robert Murray McChain was a Presbyterian pastor in Scotland. He is well known for his annual Bible reading plan, which if you're thinking of doing something next year, I would commend that plan to you. As well, he's known for his early death. He died at age 29. He said this, to give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires a new heart. To give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires a new heart. Do you understand what he's saying? His, his point is that there's a connection, a cause and effect relationship between the gospel and generosity. By the gospel, I mean that we are sinners, not just in what we do, but who we are. And God in his mercy has poured out lavish grace upon us, saved us from our sins, forgiven us, changed us, and poured out grace upon grace upon grace so that we are fundamentally new and different people. That is the essence of the gospel. When you put your trust in Jesus and you are forgiven of your sins, you receive good news. What's the good news? The good news is that your record is clean. There's a book in heaven that has all of your crimes. Those crimes have all been covered by Christ. Now, if you understand the gospel and have embraced the gospel, the effect of that understanding will be a life of generosity. In other words, if you have been graced by God through the gospel, then you will have a life that longs to grace others. So, this morning, I want to give you a biblical axiom that 
is all over the Old and New Testament, and it's especially prominent in our text today, and it's this, that the gospel creates a generous life. When you get it, the understanding of the beauty of what God has done for you, it creates a generous life. And by that, I mean more than money. I mean generous with your time. I mean generous with your plans. I mean that you walk around in life and instead of holding everything so tight, like I gotta have things just the way that I want them, I gotta have my money the way that I want, I'm gonna spend what I wanna spend, I'm gonna do what I wanna do, that because of the gospel, you, you, you open your hands like this. And my hope is that for some of you today who have a curl of your fingers around your stuff, your time, your plans, your emotions, that today we could just help you to take one step to start uncurling your fingers and saying, God, the gospel means that I'm gonna have a generous life. I'm gonna have a kind of life that if I've been graced, I'm gonna grace other people. Our text today is personal and tactical. Paul is wrapping up the book of Romans. He's telling the church about his plans, but these are more, what's here is just more than a travel itinerary. What we get here is a sense of the heart of the apostle. It shows us what a gospel-centered mindset is like in some very specific and practical areas. Here's the deal. If you understand the gospel, and it is your heart and your passion, it's gonna show up very specifically in your life. It's gonna show up in your calendar, it's gonna show up in the words that you use, it's gonna show up in the tone of your words, it's gonna show up in your checkbook, it's gonna show up in your future planning, it could show up in what you do after lunch today. So, what we wanna see here in this text is the beautiful way in which gospel-mindedness creates a generosity-mindedness. And this surfaces in the text through Paul's commendation of a shared mission, of shared resources, and shared concerns. So I wanna look at each of those. A mission, resources, and concerns. Here's the first one, a shared mission. We're picking up the text from last week where we learned that Paul's heart was related to the reaching of the Gentiles. He was proud of his work for God. We talked last week about the joy of gospel work. And he is pressing forward in his plans to go to Spain. Paul wants to go to Spain. There are unreached peoples there that he wants to preach to. And in verses 22 to 24, in our text, we get another window into Paul's heart, and it's about generosity, but in generosity in a way you might not consider, because we often think it's about money, and it is at one level, but what Paul is being generous about here is he's being generous in his plans, generous in the shared mission that he wants the church at Rome to embrace, that when, when you think of Paul in terms of what it's what he's open-handed about, he's open-handed about his life. He's open-handed about his future. And for some of you, you're here today, and that's exactly where you are. There's a career change that's just ahead of you, or you're in the middle of it. Your, your, your life hasn't turned out exactly like you had hoped. Your kids, you had this dream of, you'd be like the Waltons, and it's not. 
And you gotta hold your hands open, and it's hard. And you've come to the Lord's Day, maybe just singing and, and hearing about the things of God and his grace. They're helping to uncurl your hands again. And we see this in the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 22. For this reason I, for this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. So Paul wants to go to Rome. He's explaining to them why he's been hindered because of this unreached people thing. But now, verse 23, since I I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So what's really clear, Paul loves the people in Rome. He's never been there. He's heard about them. It's It's the capital city of the empire. Talk about a strategic place for the gospel to be disseminating, and yet Paul was not able to go there yet. Instead, he has this mission on his life, and what is that mission? The mission, according to 1520, Romans 1520, is to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. So here's the deal. Paul has this burden on him. God's, God's laid this burden on him, which is, Paul, you're going to go and preach the gospel where Christ is not named. And so what happened is, in spite of the fact that Paul wanted to go to Rome, in spite of the fact that he loved the people at Rome and he really longed to be there, that was out here. And yet the mission in front of Paul was to reach unreached people groups, and so he had to defer something he really wanted to do in order to do something that God had called him to do. And we get a sense here of Paul's heart and the fact that he knows that he has been providentially hindered. What's more, He's moving on from his present location of ministry because he says there's no more work for me to do, which means there's no more, week, more, more, no more work for the mission that God has called me to do. So some guys stay in a place and they get to see the long-term uh, fruitfulness of their ministry. Paul didn't. He planted and he moved. He planted and he moved. He planted, planted and he moved. And he didn't get the benefit of seeing all of the benefits and the beauty of what God was doing. Paul instead was going to unreached peoples and those unreached peoples are unreached for a reason. They're resistant to the gospel. They're hard to reach, and it's not safe. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul, describing his ministry, says that there have been countless beatings in his life. Countless. Countless. Like, he can't number them. There's too many. And yet he keeps going to these unreached people groups. And then, what's interestingly, in 2 Corinthians 11, he, then he starts naming a few of them. Five times he says he received 40 lashes. And don't, don't blow over that. Five times, 40 lashes. If Paul were to take his shirt off and you look at his back, you'd see the evidence of five times 40 lashes. Three times he says he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. A night and day at sea. I mean, There had to be people around Paul who are saying, Paul, brother, look at your back. You you can't go anymore to these dangerous areas. As maybe a, a helper like Timothy or Titus saw him get ready in the morning, and as he dealt with the scars on his back, they must have thought, why doesn't he just stay in Ephesus? But he wouldn't because he had opened his life to God. And there was something greater to him than not pursuing a risky mission. 
You see, gospel-centered generosity means that Paul is more concerned about God's mission than he is Paul. It means that he wanted Rome to be more concerned about Spain than they were Rome. And the gospel mission creates an appetite within the heart of the believer to share the mission of God in the world. It sets the stage for a beautiful awareness and a sacrificial engagement in terms of what God is doing. And the crazy thing is, is you want to do this. So we were preparing for this message with a team of guys. One of our missionaries was hanging out with us, and I, I said to him, you see, you're, you've done this. You, you've gone to reach unreached peoples. Look at the cost. He laughed. Cost? He was like, it's my joy. Like, I've traded up. That's the mindset. I'm going to hold the gospel as the greatest thing in my life, and therefore I hold my life loosely. So can I just ask you, do you have a sense of mission about something beyond yourself? As it relates to your, your time, your plans, your expectation, your agenda, your future, do, do you hold your life with uncurled fingers? Some of you, the, the, the state of life that you're in right now, maybe it's as a, a, as a married couple, maybe as a single, maybe in the career that you're in, and, or, or maybe you feel very alone, and you look at your life, and you're like, this is not what I planned for, and you got to uncurl your fingers and say, God, because of the gospel, I'm, I'm not going to hold on to my plans. Others of you, in the course of this next week, you may have someone interrupt your schedule, and while you're really generous with your money, you're not generous with your time. And the, the effect is, is that there's people passing you every single day where there could be engagement and, and you just have curled around your own time and your agenda and you're not on mission in terms of understanding what God might want to do through you. No one volunteers or serves without giving generously of their time. It's not just about receiving a beating. It's not just about going overseas. My wife got up really early this morning. I smiled, there she was in her robe and wet hair and coffee, and she's laboring at 5.30 this morning over her Sunday school lesson that she's teaching right now. Think of all of our Sunday school teachers who did that this morning. All of the workers who are serving some of your children today who have given generously of their time. Our TechServe volunteers who made this moment even happen, prayed with them before the service, asked them, what time did you get up this morning? 4.30, 5, 5.30, 5.15. They could have been doing something else, sleeping. And yet they're here. First-hand ministries people who are gonna greet visitors and hospitality, they're gonna stay longer after the third service. They could be going to lunch, but they're staying put. You got youth leaders who give on Sundays and Wednesday nights of their time and pour into our teenagers. Lay elders, I just started thinking of this this week, our lay elders who literally have a part-time job by helping our staff elders lead this ministry. A small group leader who spends time preparing discussion questions and, and then a problem comes up in, in their small group and rather than just saying who cares about it, they get involved and they, they pour time and energy and tears and sometimes they may wonder, I don't have energy for this. You know, when you do that, there is generosity involved. Anyone who serves in any capacity has made a generous decision to give up what they could be doing instead and they do it for the glory of God. 
No mom takes care of kids day after day after day without uncurling her hands. No father leads his family and says, let's talk about the things of God instead of watching Sports Center without uncurling his hands. Paul yielded his plans to go to Rome. He yielded his right to stay in one location. He wanted the church at Rome then to share in his mission to Spain. So what happens is that the gospel creates a generous life as it relates to a shared mission. And I just want you to pray with me that this week you'll hold your plans a little loosely. For some of you, it may be that you're at a decision point about what your future's gonna be. Some of you are ready to take a step into becoming a small group leader or just Lord's put on your life to begin discipling someone or to maybe get involved in a counseling ministry or someone that you need to talk to. But in order to do that, you know, if I go there, like, it's gonna suck my time up. And this, maybe this morning, if this message is part of you uncurling your hands and saying, God, I wanna be a part of your mission. And you need to know, when you do, that is directly connected to gospel-centered generosity. Secondly, there's also something here about shared resources. You knew this was coming. Generosity does relate to money. Verse 25, Paul says that he is going to Jerusalem in order to deliver an offering. He says, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. Many scholars believe that Paul wrote the book to Rome in the city of Corinth at the end of his third missionary journey. In fact, in order to understand what's going on here, you need to know a little bit of some background. So take your Bible and go over to Acts 19. I'd commend that sometime in the next year, read the book of Acts. If you love the epistles, like Romans and 1 Corinthians and Ephesians, and many of us do, you, you gotta know what Acts is saying because Acts sets the context. And in Acts 19, verses 21 through 22, we get a sense of what's going on in Paul's life. What the plan is, here's the plan. Now after these events, this is Acts 19, 21, after these events, what events? The events are the problems at Ephesus, the challenges in other cities. After these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having set into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So there's the plan. Paul is going to go into Macedonia and Asia and then go on to Jerusalem, and his plan is to go to Rome. And that's what he's talking about here in the book of Romans. Now, why is that so significant? It's significant because Paul wants to go to Rome and then eventually go to Spain, but he needs to take this offering that we'll talk in a moment and bring it to Jerusalem. And you need to know that Jerusalem is the opposite direction of Spain. He's writing, at, he's writing in Corinth, which is right in the middle of, of Greece, and he's going to go a thousand miles in the opposite direction of Rome and Spain in order to deliver this offering. A thousand miles one way, by the way. So to go there and back is 2,000 miles. So Paul is going to take this, this huge detour from this plan to go to Spain. Why? Here's why. Because this offering that he's taken up is very, very important. What had happened is that a famine had struck Palestine. There were Jewish believers there, and they were in desperate need 
Financially, they were devastated because of the ecological disaster. What's more, they were hard-pressed because there was no social security system in that day. Your family was your social security. That's why if you travel overseas, like India, you'll see that parents have many children. Why do they have many children? Because they're their social security, that's why. Lots of children mean you're going to take care of me when I get older. When you become a follower of Jesus and you're from a Jewish home, many of these people were ostracized. They were cut off. And so when the ecological disaster hits, they have no support system. And so Paul hears about the needs of the Jerusalem saints and he wants to take up an offering. And therefore what he did is he invited the Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia and also in Corinth in he invited them to give to meet the needs of these Jerusalem believers. Look at verse 26. Paul says, Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor in Jerusalem. And so what Paul's going to do is he's going he's to travel through modern-day Greece He's going to present the opportunity for these Gentile believers to give in order to meet the needs of these Jewish Christians. And the point of the gift was not just to meet the material needs of these Jewish believers, but there was also something else that related to the gospel. And that was that Paul wanted to send a stellar message that the gospel tears down the wall of Gentile and Jew. And when the Jew Christian is hurting, the Gentile Christian helps him out. He wants to level the playing field with the gospel and show the world the gospel unites people and he wants to use money to make it clear take your bible go to first corinthians 16 this this idea of this offering was so important that paul made very specific plans as to how it was to be done first corinthians 16 this is now written before paul goes through macedonia and goes through achaia he writes to the church at Corinth, which was a fairly well-to-do church. He says, now concerning the collection of the, for the saints, that's chapter 16, verse 1, that's in reference to the Jerusalem saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul's like, when I come, we're not collecting, we're receiving. We're just going to take it, and we're going to go. And then he says, And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go, they will accompany me. So there's Paul's plans. He writes to the church. He says, I want you to start taking up this offering so that when I come, it's ready. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, we find that it's, this gift is so important that Paul writes another letter to the church. That's called 2 Corinthians. He sends it in the hands of Titus to not only encourage the church to deal with some issues and to be sure that when Titus is there, that offering is indeed happening. So he sends somebody. That's how important that offering is. Go to 2 Corinthians 8. The collection has already been taken in Macedonia. And apparently the, the brothers in Macedonia were impoverished, and yet they gave. If you struggle with giving, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 ought to be two chapters of the Bible that you read very carefully. Paul starts with this. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy 
and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. That is really interesting language. Their poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity. In other words, what happened in Macedonia was very, very poor people gave way beyond what they really could. And Paul was stunned that these poor people had given so generously. And then what he did is he leveraged their generosity and he told the church at Corinth about it in order to motivate them to get on board with this financial appeal. Verse three, for they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Notice this, they're poor people, and they're begging Paul. We want to be a part of this. And my guess, Paul looked around, and he was like, are you kidding me? You people got nothing. And they're like, no, 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 we want to give. We want to give. We want to give. And Paul saw it with his own eyes. These people have nothing. And yet, when he sees the offering, he can't believe what they did. And this, verse 5, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. There's the key. And then by the will of God to us, accordingly we urge Titus that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, this church was super talented, and they were also really immature at times. As you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also, meaning giving. I say this, not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. Now, I don't know what's not commanding about that statement. <laughs> That's a pretty hard press. I'm not commanding it, but if you're legit, like you need to give. That's what he's saying. Why was this gift so important? Why did Paul take a thousand mile detour? This gift was crucial because of what it said about the gospel. And church, I want you to know that my giving and your giving says something in our hearts about the gospel. There's two sides of the same coin as it relates to generosity. And Paul talks about the motivations for giving in, in Romans 15. So go back to Romans 15. In verse 27, we see once again that Paul says they were pleased to do it in reference to the Macedonians. In verse 26, he used the same word, for the Macedonians and the Achaeans have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor. That word pleased means to take a high degree of satisfaction in, to approve something, to delight in something, that they wanted to do this. So the first principle for giving is this, and this is no surprise to you, there is a joy that's connected with giving. In fact, you could complete this sentence, most of you, God loves a what kind of giver? Cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver, and so do you. Someone gives you a gift, and you're like, why did you do that? No one wants to hear, because I have to. I mean, <laughs> you're going to get upset. Like, last birthday, like, woo, you know? I mean, you're just like, I have to. I mean, you'll be mad. So here's your flowers. I mean, that, who likes that, right? The beauty of the gift is not just the gift. It's the joy behind it, that you give someone something and they say, why did you do it? You say, oh, I just couldn't help myself. I just, I saw these and I thought of you and I just wanted to do it. I know it's too expensive. I know I shouldn't have spent the money, but here, I want you to have it. That's, that's what joy, it's the whole package. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one has, must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly, 
not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So generosity expressed in the sharing of one's resources needs to come from a willing heart. And what happens is the gospel creates a heart that values and loves what giving gives us rather than what money gives us. So your money gives you something. And when you give, you actually love what you get from your giving more than you love what you get from spending your money. So when you give, you're saying, God, I love you and I love what you're doing more than new carpet. I love you more than a brand new vehicle. God, I'm gonna keep my lifestyle in check so I've got freedom to give to meet the needs of people around me because at the end of the day, that's what I really live for. The person who curls their fingers around their money is not just, doesn't have a greedy heart, we have an idolatrous heart because we say at the end of the day, what I real, this thing gives me more satisfaction than Christ or to make it very specific, I trust in this more than I trust in God. But there's something more here, it's not just joy, there's also responsibility. So often, 2 Corinthians 9 and other passages are used to say that giving is just all about the joy, and it is about joy, but there also is a sense of responsibility in our giving. Now, it shouldn't tip into a reluctant giving or under compulsion sort of giving. That would be a wrong motivation. At the same time, that does not negate legitimate responsibility. Giving should not be motivated by have to, it should be motivated by want to and should to give. For instance, when you're trying to teach your children as they're growing up that they need to say thank you, someone gives them something, now say thank you and they say thank you. In those early years you have to force it on them, like, like, like force them to say it, it doesn't come naturally. And then over time, they begin to learn that thank you is not only right, but it's also something that they can take joy in and something that fits the need of the moment. So helping a child to need that they don't, helping a child learn that they don't deserve the things that they've received, even the small things, is good, and that they have a responsibility to say thank you. And you, as a parent, you're not looking for them to go, thank you. You're looking for the mingling of responsibility and heart, and when they see it, understand it, and say, thank you, and they're joyful and responsible, that's when you know, ah, that's what we're looking for. In verse 27, Paul uses responsibility language. Look at it, he says, they were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. We don't often talk about giving as a debt, but he uses the word owe. For, here's why, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, in other words, if the Gentiles are sharing in the spiritual blessings that have come through Jewish people and they're now Jewish Christians, then they, these Gentiles, ought to be of service to them in material blessings. So his argument is pretty straightforward, that since the Gentiles have received spiritual blessings from Jewish Christians, then it just seems to make sense that the Gentiles would share in the material blessings related to they're Jewish brothers and sisters. In other words, there is an there's an appropriate level of responsibility that spiritual blessed people, that we have a responsibility to use our material goods 
in a way that not only honors the Lord, but fits with the way in which God has blessed us. The word contribution in verse 26, for the Macedonians and Achaeans have been pleased to make some contribution, that word, Greek word koinonia, it means fellowship. In their money, they were creating a platform for fellowship. By their giving, the Gentiles, who lived thousands of miles away from these impoverished Jewish Christians, were bearing the burdens of others, and they were making a huge statement about how much they cared and and what they believed about the gospel. You see how important this gift was to Paul and why why he would take a thousand-mile detour to get back to Jerusalem that wasn't an, an easy or a safe place. He believed that this offering was important enough and it warranted that kind of activity because he believed that the sharing of resources would send a strong message about the gospel. So is that how you think about your resources? Do you you see money as something that has the potential to create fellowship and partnership and a platform for the gospel? Or do you see the money that you have as just, it's to help me feel feel safe? And I get it, when you give money away, it's risky. Like you're, you're giving it away, you're not trusting in it. And when you do, it becomes a conduit for worship and say, God, I trust you. And it also becomes a platform to say, I value what you're doing in my life, God. One of the reasons why I unapologetically believe that if you receive spiritual blessings from your local church, that the local church should be a priority in your giving. I'm not telling you what percentage you should give, but I am saying that if you receive spiritual blessings from your church, I think biblically you have an obligation to be some part of the spiritual supply for other people. I just think that's what the Bible says. If you receive spiritual blessing, you ought to be part of the financial blessing as well. When we were collecting money for this new space, this new sanctuary, I remember hearing a a young guy say this, you know, for years, when we were in the old sanctuary, for years I benefited from being in a room that other people paid for for me, and now I get to build a room and pay for it for other people. I'm gonna pass on the gift. I'm gonna push it forward, or I'm gonna give it forward. That's, that's That's the right attitude. But I don't think it's limited just to church. I'm not preaching this message just so that we hit our number at the end of the year. I want you to look around you and see people who are in need, people in your small group, people who are friends of yours. And while we have a benevolence fund and want to help people who are in need, I would tell you before you pick up the phone or send an email, one of the first things you need to think is, so what do I need to do? And how can I be involved? You may wonder if someone's hurting and struggling, you may think, what, what can we do to help? You know what you can do? You can give a meal, you could give them a gift card. You could say, I know you guys probably don't need this, but I wanna share, I can't do anything, but what I can do is give, and maybe it'll just help bridge the gap a little bit in your life, because God has bridged this huge gap in my life called my sin, and I just wanna be a part of bridging small gaps in your life, because I love the gospel. Even if your friend goes, look, we, we don't need it, you can just say, well then give it away to somebody else who does. But I wanna be a part of doing what I can to help. Giving says something about what we really love. If you struggle with giving, my encouragement would be for you just to pray and ask the Lord, where can I start? Even if it's a, a small amount a week, say, I'm not gonna do this, instead I'm gonna give this. Give it somewhere, give it to anybody, give it to anything, but don't short circuit the beauty of generosity by curling your fingers around your time or your resources. The gospel creates generosity. Here's the third thing and the last one. 
and that is there was this shared concern, meaning that Paul wanted this church to help him bear the burdens of the ministry. Verses 28 to 33 are intimate, they're heartfelt, and they're pastoral. Look at verse 28. When, therefore, I have completed this, meaning this collection, and I have delivered to them what has been collected, I will, leave by, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I, come, I will, when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Since Paul had never actually visited the church at Rome, he wanted them to be assured that he hadn't come, not because he didn't love them, but because of difficult circumstances. And he longed to come there and to preach the gospel to them, according to chapter one, and to bestow on them some sort of spiritual blessing, according to chapter one and verse 11. The sad story is that Paul went to Jerusalem. He was arrested, and his case made its way through the Roman courts for years, when he landed in Rome, he got there, but he got there under house arrest. He had opportunity to preach the gospel, the church probably came to him, but do you know without his 1,000 mile detour, we wouldn't have the book of Romans? And without his imprisonment, we wouldn't have Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. So don't ever think that God is not at work even in the detours or when things don't work out. And Paul says to this church, look, would you help me and we get his heart in verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, here it is, to strive together with me in your prayers to God and on my behalf. That, I love that word. In fact, I'm emotional just even reading the word. You know why? That word, that word means to enter into battle with somebody. The, 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 the the personal nature of this is very pronounced. Paul says, strive together with me that your prayers to God on my behalf. There is a clear sense of personal connection that Paul wanted them to have by virtue of their prayers. And the reason that word's emotional to me is because I felt that. It's not a week that goes by that I don't get a card or an email from someone just saying, well, you know, we're praying for you. If I could stack those up, there's, there's hundreds of cards, hundreds of emails, and thousands of times that people have come, and it's sometimes just the right moment when, when I have personally felt like I've been assaulted by the enemy or discouraged, and someone comes along and says, I just want you to know I'm praying for you, or this verse the Lord led me to today, and you have no idea at just the right moment how God uses that to enter into battle. And that's just me. I know that happens for all of you. Never diminish the power of praying for someone. Don't negate the comfort and help of having people strive together with you in prayer. The attacks of the enemy are powerful. Internal discouragement can be so incredibly real. And the thought of being alone is terrible. But when you know that people are praying for you and they're there with you, there's something powerful about that. Our missionaries know that our Barnabas teams are praying for them. Prayer guides that are available out in the atrium today, those are conduits to help you to strive together with one another after the service, we'll have people up here who can pray for you. We have that available because you don't have to walk alone. 
You don't have to go through life with this heavy burden with no one entering into that with you. There's something beautiful about the body of Christ walking alongside you and say, look, I know this is really hard, but I want you to know I'm right there praying with you. I can't fix this. I can't solve it. But brother, I'm going to walk with you and pray with you. And that shows the beauty of the gospel. And then Paul concludes. He asks them to pray that he may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea. It's not going to be safe for him. That my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Not everybody was a fan of Paul's. He had some people who preached Christ because they didn't like him while he was in prison, just to spite him. Verse 32, pray that I would by God's will, may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And so ends Paul's pastoral instruction in Romans. Do you see how the gospel creates a generous life? Paul wanted the Roman church to be concerned about unreached peoples in Spain. He wanted the Macedonian church to be concerned about the Jerusalem saints. He wanted the Roman Christians to be concerned about his ministry. There is a fundamental other-centeredness that relates to the gospel, that we share one another's burdens, that we share resources with one another, and we share a sense of mission, that I've released my agenda. I want to do whatever God wants me to do, and I want you to do whatever God wants you to do. And if that means you've got to go to a different part of the country to follow God, then you go. If that means you got to go to another part of the world, then you go. If that means you stay here in a hard job, then I'm going to pray for you and support you that my agenda is not the agenda anymore because I'm no longer curling my fingers around my plans, my agenda, my time, my money, or my burdens. I am fundamentally other-centered because of this value set informed by the gospel. Tim Keller uses an illustration of a dying man to make the point about this new value set. Here's what he says. Imagine a person who is deathly ill. The doctor announces to him that there is a medicine which can certainly cure him. Without it, he has no hope. However, says the doctor, it is extremely expensive. You'll have to sell your cars, even your home, to buy it. You may not wish to spend so much. The man turns to his doctor and says, what do my cars mean now? What good is my house? I must have that medicine. It is precious to me. These other things which are so important to me now look pale by comparison to the medicine. They are expendable. Give me the medicine. He writes, the Apostle Peter says, to you who believe, Jesus is precious. The grace of God makes Christ so precious to us that our possessions, our money, our time, have all become eternally and utterly expendable. They used to be crucial to our happiness. They are not so now. Why? Because underneath the thing that we possess is a greater thing, and that is the gospel. And when you love the gospel and have been informed by the gospel and your heart has been changed by the gospel, You're generous because a new heart creates a generous heart. Father, help us to be the kind of people who demonstrate 
the beauty of the gospel through our generosity with our time, our plans, our future. I pray for brothers and sisters today who have great disappointment with how their lives have turned out, and today they need to once again say, God, I belong to you. I surrender all. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling and wrestling with giving and the fear connected with less money. I pray that you would find ways to help them to trust you. And Father, I pray that you would embolden those who are already generous and have uncurled their hands. Help them to keep doing it and to not stop. And God, help us to make the gospel clear and plain by this value set of a generous heart. God, help us. We're a greedy people. We're self-centered. And yet, your grace has conquered our sin and our hearts. So make much of your name and your fame, we pray, by our generosity and our giving. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.